evening and welcome to this episode of the Mary Trump show. Looks a little different uh, from how it usually works looks on a Thursday. And that's because it's the show's first anniversary. And I thought it would be uh, more fun. Yes. Hands, hands, hands in the air. I'm very bad at that. Um, so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> um, so I thought it would be fun <laughs> to have friends along because uh, also there's a lot to talk about that requires uh, different areas of expertise. And, uh, you know, yes, the most obvious news is Georgia and it's good news. Um, but I kind of want to talk about the electoral results in Georgia in the context of we can't let good news stop our momentum because that seems to be what happens so often, um, you know, and and how this may indeed be permission for the Republican Party to realize that Donald Trump is is electoral poison to them. But if they cut him loose, that doesn't mean that Trumpism so-called is dead. It just makes it actually more dangerous, uh, in my view. And we also need to please stop the narrative of, well, maybe now Republicans will learn their lesson. No, what they're going to do is they're going to try to rig elections more. <laughs> so but before we get into all of that, um, I do want to start uh, with the Supreme Court. We have Dahlia here. I know she has been on this beat. I feel like I should be sending you care packages, Dahlia, because you've had to withstand. Like, are you guys getting hazard pay? I don't know, but you should be. Um, it has been quite a wild week uh, at the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, the really weird uh, case in Colorado, coming out of Colorado, I have to be honest, it does. I don't even know why it's at the Supreme Court. Maybe you can help us with it. But, the, you know, it's I don't. And is it a First Amendment case? It is. Is it a we're just you know, it is. Is it a and we're pro authoritarian. So we're going to do whatever we want case. And then. I think maybe, you know, I guess much more dangerously, uh, we have more v. Harper, um, which they heard or arguments today, um, which is a case that would literally end American democracy. So, Dahlia, if you could start us off and just give us some of your takeaways from those two cases in particular, how how we should be looking at what this court is doing. And for those of us who do understand that Alita was just being a sadist when he said, Hey, you guys can always, you know, vote to change things. Um, what do we do going forward? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, and I apologize. That was only a four part question. I should have made it more parts because having, Jed and I are like having a competition, but okay. I, I know we, you don't have a lot of time. Um, having lit Jen up for the four-part hypothetical. Uh, I'm happy for the five-parter. Um, I, I think I'll say super quickly, um, you know, Monday, first of all, if I got a care package for every time this year, I've had to say the biggest case of the term, like right. we used to have two of those and now every day is Christmas. And um, so we had two uh, of the biggest cases of the term in three days. Um, 
303 Creative is the one you were referencing, which is the follow-on to Masterpiece Cake Shop. Right. That was the baker who didn't want to provide services to same-sex couples because it violated his religion and uh, ran afoul of Colorado's public accommodations law that says, essentially, if you are open for business, uh, you can't discriminate against who you serve on the basis of all sorts of protected status. This case was entirely reverse engineered to get around the problems that allowed uh, the Supreme Court to punt that case. The number one problem was Anthony Kennedy, who's gone. Um, there are no problems with this case because it's no longer a cake baker. It's a web designer. So it's technically First Amendment speech. There's not a question anymore about whether baking a cake is speech. And the court uh, hived off the religion question and turned it into a pure free speech question. I'm not going to belabor it. I, I wrote about it if folks want to look it up. But the tenor of the oral arguments was quite gross uh, yeah. on Monday. And that's really saying something. There was like the comedy stylings of Samuel Alito suggesting that Elena Kagan knew something about Ashley Madison, the website that allows you to have affairs. There was like jokes about like black children in KKK uh, outfits posing with black Santa. It was so disrespectful. And just to your core point on this one, Mary, there's no reason for the court to hear this case because Lori Smith, the web designer, has never <laughs> created a wedding website, which is what she's declining to create for same-sex couples. She's never turned anyone away. No couple has ever been harmed. This case is utterly without facts or a record. The Supreme Court decided it based on a whole bunch of hypotheticals that may or may not happen. It was very bad. And then just quickly today was Moore v. Harper. That's the independent state legislature theory. We've talked about it before. It essentially is a claim by the state of North Carolina or by their Republican-led legislature that their massive, massive political gerrymander can't be reviewed by the state Supreme Court under the state constitution. Uh, this would be funnier if it weren't kind of the idea under the January 6th efforts to set the election uh, aside and to say you can just have, uh, you know, fake electors and send them in and that's okay. It's a very scary case. Um, I will say, and maybe this connects your framing question, Mary, it was really interesting to see the quote unquote moderate justices, that is to say Kavanaugh and um, Amy Coney Barrett, and John Roberts really nervous about certainly the maximalist idea being put forth that, you know, maybe dem democracy isn't all that, that awesome and maybe checks and balances are like, you know, wallpaper and don't matter. And I can't help but think, just to loop it back to where you began, that that same retreat we saw in the midterms, election deniers conceding, uh, people robustly refusing to, to seat election deniers, attempts to kind of make claims like the ones that Donald Trump made in 2020, just falling flat. And I can't help but wonder if at least the bulk of the court, at least the not three hyper-conservative justices, were as bothered by some of that stuff as the electorate, because it felt to me very much as though the court was backing away from really maximalist, radical ideas about how maybe we don't need checks and balances. But but haven't haven't we seen Kavanaugh and Barrett in particular kind of play both sides during arguments? 
you know, um, I mean, because one of the one of the troubling things here is we start with three votes for the independent electors, which is an insane. And the fact that they took the case, I think, in the first place is a terrible sign. We have they have three votes for it. Um, there's no reason to trust either one of them. And I mean, to, I, I think Barrett is just as radical as the rest of them. Um, you know, just maybe, maybe not in this particular case. I'm not really sure, but obviously we're going to find out. So it does, you know, when, 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 um, your hopes are pinned on Kavanaugh and Barrett acting properly, <laughs> that's the stuff of nightmares. Um, I do have a quick question about the, uh, other case. The name even of it even <laughs> confuses me. So that's why I don't say it. 301 something. I don't know. Anyway, the the website, uh, wedding website. Okay. If you're building a website. I think it's for, 303. 303. Yeah. Um, which is all theoretical. anyway. But if you're building a website for somebody else, isn't it their First Amendment? Yeah, just, just out of curiosity. That was that was uh, a line that was pressed really hard by Justices Kagan and Sotomayor. Justice Kagan adorably said, "Hey, two of my law clerks are engaged right now, and I went to their wedding websites. And even though it said, you know, at the bottom, made with love by Ashley on the wedding website, nobody thinks for one second that." Ashley is endorsing this wedding or inviting you to this wedding or celebrating this wedding. People think that Ashley is making some money creating wedding websites. And so that was very much um, uh, a theme at the argument. And maybe just one other thing that I would say, which I didn't say, is that a lot of the arguments that are being advanced by Lori Smith and uh, the group that represents her are exactly the arguments that were once advanced um, by people who opposed interracial marriage and who opposed serving Black people at their restaurants. And often, by the way, those claims were also rooted in religious objections. Uh, I could not hear a single principal distinction between why you could be allowed to discriminate against LBG LGBTQ plus clients that wouldn't also apply. Right. to uh, racial minorities or um, people with disabilities or minority religionists, because there isn't one. And the best answer that we got was because that would be racist, which is not in fact. Some of my best friends are filling Wait, can I ask, did anyone ask what if this person who's never done this kind of website were asked to do a website for a bat mitzvah? Could she not, what would happen then? I, I mean, it was <laughs> the, the way it came up was the <laughs> Justice Alito's closest hypothetical was a photographer who didn't want to take a photo of someone for J-Date. And oh, then we gosh. got um, Black Santa mm. uh, at the mall who didn't want to be photographed next to children in KKK costumes. So like maybe just to reinforce the problem when you have two plus hours of stupid hypotheticals because there's no actual facts nothing has happened yet you get a lot of stupid can i just jump in mary and just say dahlia that's what made your your piece was so good and slight because you point out that because this business owner has yet to make any kind of wedding website yet alone let, let alone uh, had the option to turn away anyone we have no one who's sympathetic we have right. no actual people 
on the other side, we just have this bitchy, aggrieved, racist, homophobic, whatever. I'm sorry, am I allowed to say that? Bitchy is not a nice thing. To would say, you please but... stop holding back? Is what I would no, say. But I mean, you know, fuck her. I don't want to go to her stupid. There you go, Mary. She didn't hold back. I don't want to go to her stupid website. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. I don't want to do have any wedding there. And that's that. The whole point is, I mean, Dahlia, you know con law much better than I do. How is this even ripe? This case. I thought the court. I thought I studied in law school how the courts only decide cases and controversies. This is nonsense. Why are they even doing this? Why are they even? Yeah. Why did they pick it up? I mean, first of all, because it was engineered to be picked up and because they knew they would have four votes to pick it up. That's the easy answer. This was another bite at the apple after Masterpiece Cake Shop. The 10th Circuit, when they looked at this case, said she has credible fear of you know, being retaliated, even though they found against her on the merits. They actually conceded that uh, she had reason to fear that the mean you know, uh, uh, a commission was going to come after her and that was enough. But I do think, and this just goes to such an important point that I think hasn't really been surfaced enough in this case, at least in Masterpiece Cake Shop, we had actual people who were actually denied service in front of a mother who had to hear uh, slurs and slights here because there is nobody there's no face, right? There's no Mildred Loving. There's no uh, Obergefell. It's just so easy for the court to make it sound as though there's no harms to anyone but the right. web designer. But I thought they, Dolly, did I get this wrong? I thought the cake shop person won Masterpiece Cake Shop. No, the court actually, because it was Kennedy writing the opinion, he actually did like a 50-50 thing where he simultaneously said, you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, um, having civil rights laws that protect, uh, uh, you know, minority uh, 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 groups. What he did find was that the commission said mean words to Jack Phillips, the case. Right. So, oh, so I he split the difference. It was almost entirely on this technical question of yeah. you should have talked. Oh, setting out on religious basis against the. Okay, now I understand it better. Thank you. Got you. So Make the bottom candlestick maker. The, the bottom line is, if you're wondering why uh, the Supreme Court has increasing, uh, diminishing legitimacy in the eyes of the American public, uh, it's because of the Supreme Court. Uh, I mean, that hypothetical, I, I wish, I mean, I wish we could have seen video. Um, like, how were people in the room reacting? Uh, I'm sure there was nervous laughter, but I mean, did, did Elena Kagan... Um, dropkick said Melito. I mean, I would have. I don't. I mean, how do these people show up to work every day with these monsters? But we'll never know the answer to that question. So let's. We're going to move on. Um, Julie, it's great to have you back. Uh, and you know, I you are a uh, native Georgian. So even though you, you don't live there anymore, uh, I thought it'd be really cool to get your perspective because one thing we saw, and I mean, we're reminded of, I should say, last night, was just how starkly and swiftly uh, certain counties in Georgia are changing. Uh, it, it's just the electorate is really, in some in some cases, evolving, and in some cases, really devolving. So, how was your experience watching the returns, and what are your biggest takeaways uh, from the Warnock win 
and the, you know, kind of shockingly close of results in the end. Um, well, thank you for asking. Thanks for having me, Mary. Congratulations on your 100th episode. It's thank you. Major accomplishment. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that we've talked about before in your show um, and that I've certainly talked about online is that um, the love of UGA um, fans <laughs> for Herschel Walker, especially um, in a certain age bracket. And so to your question about, you know, the closeness of the race, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, I really wasn't. Um, I think folks outside of Georgia, um, especially if you've not lived in a state where um, football has such an impact, um, I think it's hard to comprehend. And, you know, like the Northeast, for example, like people who grew up in that setting may not realize the impact that um, a Heisman Trophy, Trophy winner from I don't know, whatever the 1980s um, still has. And so when you're deciding, if we knew it was, we might, but right. (laughs) If we're deciding between, you know, football and Georgia football or, you know, the reverend in Georgia, maybe you are going to, you may think you may put out that you are somebody who's going to vote for the reverend. I mean, that you would, your first guess would be for the reverend. Um, But really where your heart is, is with, um, with Georgia football. So, I have to say that aspect of um, the results last night was not surprising at all. I personally felt fairly confident um, and did not have too much worry about this. And maybe I was overly confident, but I think that the results that came out of counties like um, Fulton County, DeKalb County um, were a hundred percent predictable. That is your more, suburban, urban, super educated, super family oriented, um, super, you know, I mean, not everybody's super liberal, but they are not going to suffer fools. They are, they're folks who are going to be politically aware, if not politically active. And, um, you know, having seen people's, you know, just repulsion for Walker as a candidate in in those counties, in those more sophisticated, frankly, um, voter populations, it's it. I wasn't super surprised that the numbers came out as they were. I also will say that, um, and you know, a number of articles have come out about Warnock's efforts um, with the youngsters. Um, he really was showing up on college campuses. Um, over the last four weeks. And he was very fortunate. He had, you know, having a December 6th runoff um, versus a January runoff, everybody's on campus. They're in the middle of finals. So you've got Georgia Tech kids, you've got Emory kids. Um, Even if you have the UGA kids um, in Athens, they're probably going to be half and half for this generation. You've got SCAD, which is the Savannah School of... um, Oh, I just forgot the breakdown of art and design, Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah in Georgia. Those kids are, you know, going to show up to vote and and they're artists They're, I mean, yeah. they're, you know, so he was really working um, that angle over the last four weeks. And I really appreciate that. I think it was really important. And um, I think given the diversity of Atlanta um, and Savannah and just the energy that that Democrats, frankly, since 20, early 2017 
which we saw with John Ossoff um, running in that special election way back when, um, the energy is just there and they know how to do it. And of course, you know, in large part, that's um, thanks to folks like Stacey Abrams and, um, and others who have been working so hard for this last decade. But I also think that Georgians are now sort of in the groove and Democrats at least are in yep. the groove and they know to get there early and they know to bring a friend and, um, and they are not, they are not sleeping on this. And frankly, the piles of mail that they receive at home are so large that they couldn't forget if they tried. <laughs> um, I have two more questions for you uh, along those lines. First, the first question, I want you to ask the second question first. I'm just going to lay out the first one it now because question. otherwise, I'm, no, uh -oh, it's not. I'm it's, <laughs> it's two separate questions. Okay. I'm asking you the first one now because it's simpler and I'll forget. Actually, you can just ask now. Have we seen the end of the Georgia runoff now that uh, it's racist intentions have, have given victories to Democrats in two cycles now? Um, you mean, are we going to have to see this again? Yeah. When, yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to be close. I mean, I think we're- No, no. I mean, oh. the, the runoff system. Or they just going to oh. say whoever oh, gets okay. the plural- you right, know right, right. Of uh, votes in the jet in the actual election wins, even if it's below 40, uh, 50 percent. That is an excellent question. I don't have a gut yeah. reaction on that. And I don't know if y'all have been reading about that. I would be anxious to hear what others have heard. Brian. Yeah, yeah it um, there was talk, there's been talk of it among Georgia uh, state reps. But right now it doesn't it hasn't got, gained any type of footing. I think it's really kind of early and they well, want to. Um, to, now, the GOP would love to, because they've lost, would love Right, to, that's what I'm saying, Brian. Like, it's not serving the purpose for which the it's Republicans... It's their purpose, but I yeah. don't think it's gotten any... Um, it, it's not gotten any traction yet. I'll say okay. That. Which is why, of course, I hadn't heard of it, but Mary's way ahead of me. Okay, no, I just watched... It's a good question. I, I like... I'm going to look into TV. it now. Um, so the the other question I have is, is more about... What is it about Senate races? Because so, I think... It's safe to say that in Georgia, as much as we want it to be purple, is still in some ways a red state. Um, so why is it that that Republicans can win every other statewide race <laughs> except Senate races? And it, we can't say it's because of candidate quality, because in the last election, um, you know, to relatively or I should say comparatively sane and, you know, quote unquote, uh, mainstream for Republicans candidates still lost uh, Luffler and the other guy, Purdue. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I think Loeffler and Purdue come out, you know, for, the, for them, they were part of the, um, you know, the 2020 Trump, we've got to get rid of, you know, like, we're oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, Oops. that might have played into it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I think that was I think that was what was going on there. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, you're because of the way the districts are and the counties are configured and the gerrymandering, like you're you're on this on the Repre House of Representative races, the congressional races. We're just not I mean, it's it just depends on the district. The Senate is obviously. Um, the entire state gets to chime in. And that's why you have Atlanta, you know, cities like Atlanta and the metropolitan area having this overwhelming ability to put the results 
out there that Democrats are looking to have. Yeah. You know, majority I, rule. It's a great. Yeah. That, um, I mean, I will say, um, you know, going back to this, um, you know, looking at the governor's race, you know, Brian Kemp is not as disgusting um, to Georgians as <laughs> as he is to the rest of us. Um, and he's certainly not as bad a candidate um, as Herschel Walker. So that's another yeah. statewide race. Um, and, you know, when you look at the inherent racism that exists in Georgia and the the idea that it's it's not just racism, at, but it's, you know, racism against black women yep. um, is a whole nother level there. I mean, it doesn't surprise yep. me that Brian Kemp won. And so if I were, you know, sort of this whole election cycle going on my gut, my gut was that Brian Kemp was going to win knowing mm -hmm. oh, Georgia. Yeah. And yep. my gut was that Warnock would would pull this out. Um, it's hard to pinpoint. I mean, it really it is. It was his slogan. It was his campaign slogan. Brian Kemp, I'm not nearly as horrible as Herschel Walker. Vote for me. Honestly. Yes. Like, and I'm not a black woman. Um, yeah, so, exactly. You, know, right. you can vote for a black man and right. pretend you're not racist right. and, yeah, and right. then vote for me. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, it will be interesting to see because, again, Julie, the, the demographic, uh, sorry, the trends are so wildly growing in, in Democrats' favor in some of the bigger counties. And we've got Ossoff isn't up for re-election for four more years. And obviously Warnock's got six more. So I think that, that it will be an entirely different uh, environment then. So we definitely have time uh, to shore, uh, shore that up um, as long as, you know, um, we... Well, no, I don't want to say as long as the Republicans keep fielding <laughs> candidates like Herschel Walker. It's more like as long as we can uh, try to stop the more egregious uh, voter suppression and voter subversion tactics they have in place. But I want to get back to something we were talking about, Brian, before we started, and that's just the the media's it, just absolute addiction to the horse race and how not just unnecessary it is, but how misleading it is. Um, yes, sometimes yeah. elections were close. 2020, the midterms in 2020, although not nearly as close as, I mean, sorry, 2022 was legitimately close and not nearly the blowout we were told is going to be. So um, it was so egregious this time that uh, I was finding myself getting stressed out about nothing. Be except the fact that these people who, whom I respect otherwise are playing this game. Um, and, you know, what's the, what is the antidote to that other than so, just not watching? Well, you got to hire, look, I'll put it to you this way. This is, this is a good idea of where the head of the media is at. So today, right. We're looking at two cases, Dahlia, you talked about them in the Supreme court. One of them uh, potentially democracy ending. You got the Trump organization guilty of criminal charges in, in uh, New York, I think. Warnock wins. Uh, Cawthorn was was fined $15,000 for his baloney that he did. Who? AOC, who's under investigation by the Ethics Committee. And the cake and wedding. Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, Madison. I know. I was kidding. Wait, who's yeah. under investigation? Uh, AOC. Uh, an ethics violation. All of these are coming today. Now, what AOC? Yeah. Regardless of what you think of of any of the stories, these are 
huge stories to mm -hmm. be covered. What did we ask about in the in the briefing room today? What was the key thing that reporters were upset about? Some of us didn't get invited to the Christmas party. And that <laughs> again. What? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That's well, there were two Is this like wedding gate and Christmas party gate now. Yeah, and and mind you, there was also a question asked about going after, you know, uh uh, uh, automatic weapons, you know, in, in next year, will Biden go after them? And completely missing the point that you'll never get a, you, you can't ban assault weapons if you're the president, it has to go through Congress. And by the way, Congress is owned by who? The Republicans. So it's not good. It was, we wasted 15 minutes on that question. We are egocentric, we are ignorant. And we don't know what it is that we're covering. So it's very easy for young reporters, many of whom are now in the White House instead of veterans, and you know, many of whom don't know the background or the history of what's going on. It's very easy for them to cover polls and get it wrong. And so you've got to end that. You've got you've got to fundamentally change who you have covering issues, but you can't because you won't pay uh, reporters enough if they have experience. They'll go get their daggone, you know, they'll get a law degree or they'll go in and, and, and cover law or argue First Amendment law or they'll go into PR where really where you can make some really big money. And so the press is left with young kids who don't know what the hell they're doing. And that's very unless we change that, you're going to that that whole idea of covering a horse race. It's just so easy for editors and uh, reporters to cover. And it's yeah. really frightening. It's frightening. And, you know, one, we need to get rid of the New York Times needle and two, we need to get rid of the Kornacki chem. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I digress. Uh, Charlotte, I want to go to you because one, you're Texan and you also understand uh, the uh, some of the underpinnings of Southern culture that you're right. The, the right I don't think it's that that. Uh, well, I'll only speak for myself as a, as a New Yorker in particular and a Northeasterner in general. It's not that I dismiss it. It's that I don't understand. I literally don't understand it. I'm not I'm not trying to be ob obnoxious or superior. I just don't get it. Um, and it's, you know, it's it, it's the same thing with the role religion plays. And I have to be honest, it made me very uncomfortable that both the winner of the race and the loser of the race both spoke lots about religion in their respective speeches. And again, that's something that makes me uncomfortable. Um, you know, not judging necessarily, but I, I'm not really sure why we always seem to have to go there as if that's some kind of validation. But beyond that, um, there's this sense that um, we we just, we can't, seem to find a way through like why are white women voting for a party in huge numbers that is totally cool with relegating them to second class citizenship um you know why um does it feel like we're losing ground i don't remember i i think it was Sherilyn eiffel on twitter was like roy moore would have beat doug jones if that election were held today and that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. And and yet, you know, it, it sort of reminds me in a in a way of what's happening in the horrors that that have been happening in Moore County, where you have um, the authorities uh, bonding with the 
alleged perpetrator over prayer because, you know, it's a Christian town and those people who don't subscribe to those beliefs deserve whatever they get, uh, even if it's kids who need electricity in order to stay or whatever. I mean, it's it feels like there's this very dangerous alignment between the the you know the most radical among us and the powers that be. Yeah, when we think of what combines communities, what gets people to uh, vote or participate in their local communities across the United States, in the South, it's football and religion, in particular, the Christian church. Um, that doesn't make it right, but that's how it goes. So, Can I ask like you a Texas quick question? I'm yeah, sorry sure. to Go interrupt. Uh, I'm just going to add to my question that I actually didn't end with a question mark. Um, <laughs> how, how do we... Another multi-part question. Yeah, I'm going to insert another multi-part question in the midst of my multi-part question that I didn't even allow you to finish answering. <laughs> um, so yes, football and Christianity, but we were, so so then you could say, all right, fine, we've got a football player on the one hand, but we have a pastor. <laughs> Again, shouldn't matter, but it does. What it's Georgia? Why, but but okay, but Charlotte, it's I mean, what, but it's still Christianity. Charlotte, am I just, am I missing? No, no, you're not. That's a great question. And it's about how it makes people feel. Would I rather choose a pastor who holds me to a higher standard, who actually preaches what's in the Bible, who compels us to reach what what God intended through scripture? Or would I rather vote for the guy who says, actually, it's okay for you to feel sexist, homophobic, whatever. And also I'm the guy who made you feel really good on national television in 1980 when we won the national right. championship for Georgia. That's, and that's, that's the point. difference. Right. By the way, they that's don't... the difference across the board. Yeah, if we yeah. had uh, you know, a pastor running for president of the United States right now as a Democrat, it'd be the same issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to explain this to folks who don't grow up in the South, but you know, in Texas on Friday night, we care about football. That's it. That's all we care about. There was like, like a whole everyone... TV show about that. <laughs> yeah, a very yes, there was. <laughs> and in fact, and I'm not kidding a bit right here, I would encourage everyone to watch Friday Night Lights. If you haven't seen it, it is an exquisite, extraordinarily written series. And I think it does more justice to Texas culture than hmm. any other show I've ever seen. If there's because... nothing that will explain Texas culture, Charlotte, you're it's 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 Texas. The first okay, wait, 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 Brian, there, let, let Charlotte finish. I asked her. She's down there. They have their high school tickets. They leave in wills to people. That's all I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. I just said that she's, I, I gave her like a 7,000 part question and, and uh, <laughs> she has a ways to go. Yeah, I'll be quick. Um, <laughs> Sorry. It, 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 it's so prevalent. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. It's, it's so prevalent that, you know, like even local games are, the highlights of local games are shown on uh, the news. Like the, the newscast will devote like 10, 20 minutes to an hour, hour long show to talk about what happened in the local games. So you just got to understand now, because of that, because of these, there are these two entry points to community in the South, the church and sports, that's what people attach to the overall idea of community. So when you have someone like Herschel Walker who is saying, you know, I'm the one who brought all of you into living rooms together to watch us win. I'm the one who's going to bring you together for public policy. Uh, to, to improve your roads, your infrastructure, to you know, make sure that there aren't trans kids playing on these sports teams, to make sure that you know, these alpha people down the road aren't you know, engaging uh, uh, in abortion activity or whatever. However, or drag whatever, shows. yeah, or, or drag shows, whatever. I mean, you know, pick your poison with all the awful things these people say, but that's how it works. And when you have someone like Reverend Warnock, and by the way, I go back and forth on this. I, 
look, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I strongly believe in the separation of church and state. If I could take out in God we trust from our national motto, I would, because it's yeah. harmful to us. At yeah. the same time, that's not going anywhere for maybe forever. Right. right. And so what I kind of like about Reverend Warnock is that he introduces people to the idea that faith can push forward progressive policies in a way that I don't think anyone else can, because we haven't had really anyone on the left in terms of elected official at the federal level who's approached religion with such an articulate uh, and I would say compelling viewpoint on what religion can mean. And I, so I, I quite like that Carter. he got, uh, what's that? Jimmy Carter. Well, I, Jimmy Carter, sure. But Jimmy Carter was never a pastor. Uh, no. He had a very Southern Baptist upbringing and he did talk about, you know, the playboy thing and lust in my heart, et cetera. But that was easily mockable. Reverend Warnock knows how to go to a congregation and say, this is why you need to support LGBTQ rights. This is why you need to support access to reproductive health. This is why we need to protect uh, folks who are living on minimum wage, who don't have food in their pantry. You know, God, God, you know, called us to do this. That's not what other churches say. Quite frankly, a lot, most churches in the South are not going to tell people what they need to give up for others. They're going to tell them, here's how you can feel good about your lifestyle while also claiming to subscribe to the uh, to the Christian faith. And that is the big difference between the two. I think Reverend Warnock in the long run will be good on that end from giving people perspective on faith that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, um, it, is, it is tricky. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is if uh, I lived in Georgia, which would probably be a bad idea, um, I, I'd vote for Raphael Warnock in a second. Um, you know, so because because... Um, he's he has the right to believe whatever he wants, and I know he's not going to shove those beliefs down my throat as my senator, and like that's the difference. Um, I think so. I, Jen, the other thing about this election that I think we need to uh, <laughs> that that we can't forget, you know. And again, it's like, yay, we won, but that's not mm -hmm. a reason to stop. To, to suddenly think, oh, we don't have to fight anymore. It's 5149. Who knows what Manchin and Cinema are going to do or like when they're going to start becoming Republicans. I don't know. It's it's still it's 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 way close margin. Um, 2024. That's that election cycle started today, <laughs> actually. So my question to you is. Um, and you can go with it or, you know, go talk about something else that's on your mind. But I do think it's important. No, you don't want to... me to talk about what's on my mind. Oh, now right. you've got then it. I'll, then no, it's just a random distraction. You can't do that. Come on. You can't get to us. do that. What the fuck, man? Now, all right. <laughs> go ahead then. No, it's, it's just about football. So forget it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, say it. Say it seriously. No, it hey, is. Yeah. Just continue, Mary. <laughs> Now we got to hear it. You Come know on. how many comments I'm going to get about the fact that Jen was just <laughs> such a tease. Um, okay. So, so uh, the, the, the fact that Republicans continue to run these just horrible candidates and yes, a lot of them lost. Um, but JD Vance won. Walker came closer than he had any right to. And, we don't repudiate them sufficiently. Like, you know, that I think was one of the biggest tragedies of 2020. We repudiated, Donald got repudiated, but the party didn't. And here we are. 
And, you know, we know they're not going to learn their lesson because, again, as Sherilyn Eiffel said, Roy Moore would win in Alabama today against a Doug Jones. Like, that's how the climate has been allowed to uh, shift uh, even further down the road. So how do we how do we push back against that? Um, since again, the Republicans don't care. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I, what I hear you, what I hear you saying is no complacency, right? No and complacency, what I was, no compromises. And that's I what would, I was actually thinking about. My t-shirts. I was thinking about t-shirts for the live yes. show yes. on December 19th at the that's dynasty good. typewriter. We actually suddenly have 12 tickets available because they've done the video set up differently than we thought. That's what I was thinking about, Mary, but I was waiting until you were done with your, your talk. So no complacency, no compromise. And here, here's the good news, bad news story. Um, the Republican Party, sans Trump, are going to make it easy for us to repudiate them because of the shit show that's coming that was already mentioned in the House. Right? We the They're going to be doing all kinds of, they're going to be wasting time they're going to be making fools of themselves and you know, they're not going to be really repudiating at least in the house, Donald Trump and, and what's going on. And so it's, I think that there, it's going to Taylor green has anything to do with it. You know what? Right. And, and so I think that that the fact that um, I think that there's, I think a lot of people have speaking for myself. I feel like I have a second wind. I mean, there was a moment a few months ago when I just felt incredibly, utterly exhausted and wrung out and thought I wanted to be that, remember the guy, the New York Times profiled who just went and lived at like on a pig farm and said he wasn't going to get any news at all for a few years. I wasn't going to go that far. I, I'm, I'm this close to that. I have to so, I, you know, being in that elephant farm, though, being in that space, it feels really demoralizing until the, the midterms came along and picking up this extra Senate seat felt really good that and also unfortunately losing the house but not by much may be a blessing in disguise um and we'll work on getting judicial appointments in the senate yeah. and we'll work on trying to call out the house yeah in their madness and you so i what? think yeah go Sorry, ahead go ahead um, no that's what i got all right well you know then i want to come at this a different way because i'm at what what i really meant was not not so much that that the republican party doesn't get repeated it repudiated so much as um it the quality of the candidates doesn't matter because of the republican electorate and i'm not talking here about evangelicals because honestly guys evangelical christians will vote for somebody who's a republican even if that person had a billion abortions because they believe that person will vote to end abortion rights and save trillions of babies in the future so it's See what I'm saying? I'm talking about people who are, are totally cool with voting for a misogynist wife abuser uh. guy who like plays ru- Russian roulette, who clearly has massive. Confidence. I have an answer There's- for you. Okay. A lot of people out there are misogynist wife abusers, and, and they're going to vote for other misogynist wife abusers. Sixty yeah, so, percent I mean, of that, white women voted for uh, her. Yeah, and there a lot of them are in relationships with yeah. misogynist yeah. wife yeah. abusers. Point, I mean, sorry, Brian, school. I'm talking. Brian, stop! Wow, Brian, stop! What's going on? One sec, one sec, because I can't hear you while I'm listening to myself talk. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I think that the, something, the work that needs to be done goes beyond elections. You know, the work that needs to be done goes to a place of compassionate community organizing in our own community. So if that means, hmm. you know, uh, among other white women um, who make excuses for, you know, let's say they're white women in relationships with white men and make excuses for their behavior saying, you know, no, um, we got to talk about this. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dysfunction, abuse, exploitation, instrumentalizing people, soul killing in the society, all in all that stuff that what feminists used to say, the personal is political. Yeah. And that's the, the space. I think we can really, we can really do more work because once you, you know, for you know, Trump's cult is or Donald's cult isn't the only cult. Thank There's you. also I have an entirely different cult from his, so let's <laughs> not confuse them. Uh, and so there is a there's but it all kind of ties together. And, and when people are in denial about the dysfunction in their immediate family and their immediate community, um, they're going to find leaders who replicate that. Right. Yeah. I I kind of like that idea. Sorry, uh, Brian. Brian, no. go ahead. All, all I was going to say is that to your point and to Charlotte's point, and as the Southern boy that I was born and raised, and I have I have associate citizenship status in Texas since I have two of my sons that were born there and we lived there for a while. The, you, you have, you know, you talk about um, the hypocrisy and they'll trust a football player over a, a reverend. Here's the thing, you know, they will trust a football player, even though, and I've seen this happen. They will, there will be football players and football coaches who will dress up and drag and, and tease their own team in the locker room after the game and are fine with that. And yet they will not embrace that out. They are ashamed of their own behavior. So they will not, they will not endorse that behavior that is brought out into public that which they are ashamed of and hide in a locker room. Bingo. So the, the huge problem that you have is not only the hypocrisy of their actions, but the fear that what they're doing is wrong and they're not going to vote for anybody who th that shows the behavior that they do uncomfortably and that they're emotionally not able to get their mind around. They're not going to vote for that. Right. I mean, that's what Charlotte said about uh, Warnock and, and, and basically speaking to people's decency and uh, you know who the hell wants to who who the hell wants to be forced to behave like a decent human being if they don't have to? Julie, go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm going to have to hop off in a second, but I just wanted to give a shout out about um, white women voters. And I mean, look, I have a lot of white women voter friends, and we all vote for Democrats, so this is certainly not talking to them. But mm -hmm. having grown up in the South. Having seen, um, not knowing women in growing up who who worked um, at all, like I I didn't that was not my view of the world that women would work. I think there are a lot of women who don't spend a lot of time on this topic of politics, and they don't really pay all that much attention, and they go with what their dad recommends, what their husband recommends, and. I don't think that they could recognize the hypocrisy because they're just not, they're not assessing it. They're not, they're not considering both sides. They're not doing D they're, it's just not on their to-do list as, as 
That's as, not limited to women. Moms, well, and okay. yeah, and, yeah. But as moms, as as you know, churchgoers, as you know, you know, class president, whatever it is, like it's just not a priority. It's just not. Listen, I, I had the great misfortune of li living on Long Island for a couple of decades, and it's exactly the same there. I mean, I knew everybody I met out there, every woman I met out there voted exactly the way their husbands did. So it's unfortunately not not a regional problem. It's 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 everywhere. Uh, okay, Julie, thank you so much for being here. Have a great time at your Thanks. concert. In, in true Georgia form, I just want to tell y'all I'm going to see um, – Mike Mills from REM tonight is uh, performing in DC at the wharf. And so I'm going to see him play. Um, and Yay. cheers. You to give away your Southern roots by awesome. saying y'all. Oh, well, that's yeah. all I have left. <laughs> all right. Have so much fun. Right. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I, I want to kind of bring this full circle, but before I do, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge, as we always must, that uh, once again, Black women saved our asses. Uh, so people like Latasha Brown, Helen Butler, Stacey Abrams, of course, Ashley Robinson, Christine White. Uh, you know, we are so fortunate to have women like that on the ground. Um, and we, uh, you know, hopefully um, can help them uh, have even more influence in more states going forward because we we need people like that in every state, uh, honestly. Um, but I, I think I, I spoke to Dolly about this recently. Just this, just the unsustainability of feeling like every single time there's an election, every single time there's a Supreme Court case, a case before the Supreme Court, the fate of the world is on a knife's edge. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but it's it's really taking a toll. And I'm not sure what the solution to that is, if there is a solution. Um, you know, we say here, as Jed, for some bizarre reason, has to remind me, no complacency, no compromise. Absolutely. Like, that's that's how we get where we want to go. But um, that requires kind of keeping your foot on the accelerator at all times and not letting down your guard. Uh, so... I guess the question is, what what is the way out of that if there is one and there may not be? And two, why um, why does the other side never seem to succumb? <laughs> you know, they seem to be so motivated by their hatred and their pettiness that it's like they never run out of steam. Is it simply because they've been playing a long game and we're just starting to catch up uh, or... Some, something else you could speculate about. Uh, Dolly, I'll start with you. And obviously these are very different issues when we're talking about elections versus the Supreme Court. But I think you know, the long game applies to both of them. Uh, I don't have huge thoughts about this. I think my, my two small thoughts are one, like as long as we run democracy as like competing choices among celebrities, you're going to just put too much faith in individuals, right? And yeah. I think, remember how Michael Avenatti was going to save constitutional democracy? Like I never lot. thought that. I, I didn't. Did I. Why does he keep coming up in every fucking conversation I'm having these days? Because well, he just got sentenced to 14 years in okay, prison right. and 
we were a lot of people believe for some I was, bizarre yes, reason that he I was know. you know the second coming of I know I'm shamed by hearing his name go ahead Dahlia no I mean I just think like as long as this is just you know I think Jen and I talked about this a little last week but like as long as you have this like great savior who's going to come and fix everything uh, you're going to just keep making the same category error again, which is like, I don't have to do democracy. I just have to do hero worship. I think that's part of it. And, and then the related part is I just think goes to something like really profound that that Charlotte said, which is, I just think that like, it depends whose stories are being told, right? There are like, you know, uh, the Reverend Dr. William Barber, is as compelling a religious f figure, in my view, yep. as we have I agree. probably in decades. Yep. Nobody's heard of him because nobody cares. And he is such a radical pastor for the kinds of decency and equality and thinking about poverty and the widows and the orphans. And nobody's telling his story. And nope. instead you get like, you know, these prosperity gospel people and whatever. So I think like we make a choice every day about whose stories we tell. And then that really lifts up, you know, who are our heroes? So there's a way to yep. fix this, which is we should all be going and following Dr. Barber around and taking yep. dictation. And we don't. Yeah, I, I, I've been talking about getting him on the show for a long time. And because you're right, we don't hear about Moral Monday, but we hear all about, you know, the hate speech uh, in all of these white evangelical mega churches, uh, you know, and um, he absolutely hands. does. That's right. He does what uh, Raphael Warnock does uh, in in speaking to people through. Uh, in the context of their religious beliefs to make them better people and better Americans uh, in, in, in that way. Um, and yeah, there was that time, Charlotte, I totally remember that uh, Avenatti is like, you know, hot for two seconds and oh, red for president. And I'm like, sh sh please. And then at the same time, I was hearing people say that what's her name, that she's like fake judge on television, judge Judy. Should run for president. I'm like, oh my God, we, we, the answer to this problem is not to go down the same road <laughs> the Republicans have gone down. Uh, right. So, Brian, what are you guys in the media going to do with that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not much. We'll just shit our pants as we always do. Uh, Fabulous. I, I say that, you know, as far as why do, to your point, Mary, why do, uh, it seems like they always have the energy and we don't. Look, a, a fool endures because they're they're sure of the righteousness of their cause. A wise man doesn't often endure because we doubt everything and we question everything. The wisdom gives you the ability to doubt. And some so sometimes you look at it and go, is that fool really? Wait a minute. What am I missing? And meanwhile, they've stormed past you into the gutter and will drag you into it and beat you to death with their stupidity. You you have to endure the, the fools and, and bring them up. But Dolly, you're talking about you know, the stories that have to be told, how can we tell those stories when we have no ability to do so? The press has got to get better and you're not going to get, I think a lot of this is a key. you got to break up again. I, I, I sound like I'm preaching, break up the media monopolies and make sure there's a diversity of ownership as Ben Bagdickian talked about years ago. Okay. You can't have a diversity of thought without a diversity of ownership. Right. With only six companies owning most of what you see, reader here, and a, a smaller number of reporters, again, 
Half the number of reporters on this planet is on the day that I was born and twice the number of people. There's your problem. Education, socialization, and teaching media literacy. If we could do those things, it's a long-term solution. Remember, the Republicans took a very long-term look at, at securing the Supreme Court. The yeah. Federalist Society was a 30, 40-year plan, and they did it. Well, Donald, only because Donald Trump walked into office and, and shit all over himself and brought in anybody that they told him to. But they did it. They played the long game. Democrats have got to play the long game. And so do uh, members of the press. If we don't fix what our problems are, society can't fix what its problems are. Right. And, you know, to that end, Charlotte, uh, we do need to find different ways. Yes, we can play a long game, but we don't have the money. We don't have one person giving 1.6 million, sorry, billion with a B dollars to one organization, uh, the purpose of which is literally to, to dismantle American democracy. We need compelling narratives, right? I mean, that's, that's essentially what you're saying. So vetted facts. And what? And vetted facts. We need well, vetted I mean, we and actual that. critical we, thinking we, skills, not I, people like yes, doing their own yes. research. We God, do. I love that term. Yeah. <laughs> Charlotte, go ahead. But also the progressive movement needs to get better about inviting people in mm -hmm. rather than pushing them away. I think right now we have a big problem between, between conservatives and much the conservative movement who offers people dessert. Like here's all the pies and cakes and everything you want. And here are the Democrats offering vegetables and shaming you if you're not going to eat this particular kind of vegetable. Here's the thing about the Democratic Party and the progressive movement overall. The big advantage is that we're a tent party. We have a diversity of views that makes us stronger in some ways. Mm -hmm. And the big weakness is that we're a big tent party and that we have a diversity of views and it's hard yeah. to get people together. I went to uh, uh, white evangelical churches for many years. And here's what they do really, really well. They don't make people feel bad about being there. They don't make people feel like they're not welcome. And it's not just white folks who are in these environments, it's people of all races, but that mentality that spiritualist is from the white evangelical standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's spiritual fast food. It's telling people that their most basis wants are okay. Um, as long as they don't get an abortion, but even that's okay, low key. Um, as long as they don't, as long as they're not LGBTQ, but even that's okay, low key. Mm -hmm. There's no real uh, moral imperative to that kind of, of mindset. And we're seeing the conservative movement built on this idea that everything you want, the American dream is everything you want, and that aligns with what God wants for you. That's the whole thing. Meanwhile, we have Democrats who are saying, actually, God does say to help the poor. God does say that, you know, you should give up your resources to make sure that others don't go without. No one wants to hear that shit on the right. <laughs> no one. And we do a really bad job as progressives of bringing people into the fold and making them feel welcome and as part of a solution Rather than telling them you don't know this, this, and this, you're you're excuse me for the ableist term, but it's but this is the way it's often expressed, is that you're an idiot, you don't belong with us, and you need to go back where you came from. In terms of the uh, you know, the, the 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 cultural places that people grow up in the United States. And until we get better at being graceful with people, talking to them like neighbors, not talking to them like um, you know, students in a class where we're lecturing them. We're not going to get anywhere. And look, I'm guilty of this too. There are times when I lecture because I get frustrated. Mm -hmm. but, but overall, we have a movement that does, that has forgotten how to bring people into the fold. And it's not yeah. good. 
Yeah, it isn't. And but again, it's much harder when you are talking to everybody. I mean, literally, the, the Republicans only have to appeal to white, Christian, um, straight people with, you know, uh, without a college degree and sometimes, with, you know what I'm saying? It's so but when you- thing, and, Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but here's the thing. Yeah. I do want to point this out real quick. I apologize for interrupting. Um, even white women- are selfish people, even queer people are selfish, even people of color are selfish. All these mm -hmm. groups have folks in them who are selfish and want their own whatever over the rest of the needs of the community. Mm -hmm. It's not surprising that a lot of white women vote Republican. It's not to me because white women can be really fucking selfish too, Yeah. right? If you have a white yep. woman who would rather have comfort within the conservative environment, as opposed to not have as much comfort, but have to hold them a higher moral standard, there's a lot of white men who are going to choose comfort. That's yep. what it is. Even yep. if it means that they may not have abortion access, even if it may, uh, means that you know their neighbor who is who is Muslim or queer or person of color is persecuted, they'll choose that. We have to get better at, 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 at making the argument that everyone loses in the end, even if you feel temporary comfort right now. Yeah, you know, Jen, that's a really good point. And it reminds me that one of the things we need to... Uh, one of the points we need to get through uh, to people is that by cutting yourself off from other communities and other experiences, you lose so much. Uh, and by cutting yourself off from empathy and, and Dahlia just pointed to the example of uh, a Republican Senator who's having, you know, one of his kids is going through a terrible time. Um, Teddy. I wasn't going to say that, but yes, uh, you know, it, it diminishes your uh, experience uh, as a human being um, not to be able to tap into, like, I'm not saying you have to have empathy for somebody who treats you horribly, but, you know, children are children and, you know, to uh, at least at the very least refrain from attacking, um, you know, so I think you can have empathy, but not sympathy. I think everyone deserves empathy. We're all human. But the I have reserved no sympathy for Ted Cruz. I have sympathy and empathy for his daughter. I have to be honest, though. Like, given what the, what what the that child is going through right now, um, to say I I have all sorts of empathy for her, but I hate her father isn't really a great message. No, I, I saw I, that I, all I, over I, Twitter today. And I, I'm sorry. I just, I, that yeah. doesn't get us where we need to go. You either say nothing or you are just completely empathetic to the situation. Uh, Jen, I mean, it kind of feels like we are living and, and maybe this is why I'm having such a hard time uh, with the times in which we live, because it literally is like just being in my family uh, when I was a kid, like, just cruelty is the currency and being kind is just just you know you're a fucking loser if you're kind so what how well, do we there, flip that script? you know well there was a time when we didn't have social media and probably if something like this happened we'd hear about it in the news or newspaper and if you had a friend at school who said something that seemed to lack compassion You'd be standing around your lockers or you'd be, 
you know, somewhere at lunch and you'd say, don't be such a dick about this, have some compassion. And that would be the end of it. And then the social group would, and the person would realize you're right. Like, what am I even doing? Um, And then that person would get what the norms are. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the downsides of this kind of flood of information is that it does bring out sometimes the worst in us and there's no and then when you you can't discipline or communicate with or bring a stranger into the fold and say that's not how we do things because that's just millions of people are in this stream of information and then it becomes anyway so so i just don't i tend not to want to look on places twitter when these kinds of things happen what i and i don't react instead of reacting to anybody i just put up a message about mental health um and that's what i i'm just because i have no idea what's going on in someone's life that um right you know yeah and and there is something about uh how easily our worst instincts get validated on social media i saw somebody who's you know on our side of things posted a, a picture of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and made unflattering uh, comments about her appearance. And practically every comment was like, oh, yeah. So, like, seriously? Yeah, you think right, there right. aren't enough things to say about Sarah Huckabee Sanders without stooping it makes me, to that enra- I'm ad hominem like attacks? You know? yeah. the, anyway. Those attacks are useless, pointless. And I, they, there were a lot of them made in, during the Trump era aimed at Trump and the members of his administration, which made real criticism of what was going on far more difficult and critical thinking since it was lacking was seen as an ad hominem attack. And thus you have that, that Mary, to your point, you just have that point. If you cannot at least be kind in some respect to even those that you don't like, then you're screwed because you're part of the problem, not the solution. Sorry. And, and, you know, when I, when I wrote my first book, I had three rules, uh, no self-loathing, not an easy task. No <laughs> bitterness or anger and no ad hominem attacks. And I think those are rules to live by, uh, you know, and maybe um, if we do that, we can do that when it, when dealing with other people and start listening and also start helping and, and start, you know, telling the stories of people who may not have uh, platforms. Um Maybe we'll get we'll get some of the way there, um, because what happened yesterday was a very good thing, and uh, we need to hang on to that without getting complacent, because there is no complacency and there is no compromise. So uh, I'm so grateful you guys were here on our first anniversary. Um, Happy anniversary, Mary. Thank you, thank you so much. It's it seems longer. What is the <laughs> what is the first anniversary? Is it paper or what is it? Paper. Okay. Which I, d- people don't use anymore. So that's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, subscription to the New York Times is not, 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 not <laughs> would not, not be welcome. <laughs> what paper? Um, I'm so sorry. I'm confused. Paper. First anniversary is the first gift that yes. is for paper. Of what? For, your, for, for anniversaries have um, uh, certain kinds of materials oh, associated oh, with oh, them. Oh, oh, oh. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Like a pearl, whatever the hell. Okay, yeah, yeah. Got it. For some reason, paper is for the first one, I guess, because it's uh, fragile and and compostable. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I think there was a time when paper was precious, and maybe you gave someone like monogram stationery, Mary. Maybe, may it should be papyrus then. 
but we digress. <laughs> uh, seriously, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you, Julie Zebrak, uh, Dahlia Lithwick, Brian Karam, Jen Taub, Charlie Clymer, uh, my Nerd Adventures. It was awesome to have you here tonight. Um, and I will hopefully see you Tuesday. Um, and don't forget, uh, there are still some tickets left for the show because oh, who knows why it doesn't matter. There's still some tickets left for the show. December 19th in, uh, LA dynasty typewriter at 7 30 PM. Um, really looking forward to that. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. Have a great weekend and I will see you soon. Thank you to all of you for uh, spending this evening of the first anniversary of the Barry Trump show with us. Um, yeah, I thought I'd do something a little bit different instead of having uh, one guest to just have some buddies come by and spend some time with us. Uh, so that is it. We will be back on Tuesday, next Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. That's youtube.com slash Politicon. And uh, our regular show, of course, will be at its usual time next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Also at youtube.com slash Politicon. While you're on Politicon's YouTube page, please subscribe to Politicon. It doesn't cost anything. And uh, while you're there, like the episode, uh, leave a comment, click on the bell so you'll be sure to get, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Alerted. That's what bells do alerted anytime a new video drops uh you know we had a couple of um we had an emergency session yesterday uh so yeah so sometimes we have videos um off the cuff so click on that bell and of course you can uh listen to the podcast sorry listen to the show in podcast form at apple or anywhere you, uh, else you get your podcasts and again the show december 19th it's a monday at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, I don't know how many tickets are still available. It's probably just a handful. I think 12 became available, so they're probably going to go pretty quickly. Um, and that will be me, my Nerd Avengers, Wajali, Jen Taub, and we have a really awesome special guest joining us. I'm very excited about it, but it's a surprise. Uh, if you want to know who it is, you have to come to the show. Um, and that does it for us tonight. Thank you again for being here on our first anniversary. We'll see you next Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend. And in the meantime, please stay safe and be kind.